You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, and we're coming to you live from Houston, Texas. Last week, we began the discussion of the idea of feeling someone else's pain, understanding the burden of another person, connecting with them on a deeper level, not just, yeah, yeah, empathize and, and move on, but really sinking into someone else's experience. I want to share that with a, a number of different scenarios. So you go to the grocery store. How is that cashier? What are they struggling with? Well, I have no idea. Well, that's what this trade is. The beautician uh, or the person at the barbershop or the person at the bank try to get into what is their experience. I remember there was once a, a rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was traveling. He was a passenger in a car. Someone was driving him. And they passed the uh, toll booth. And the teller at the toll booth, like everyone used to do, you know, you got your coin and you drop your coin, and you, or you give it to the person, and that's it, and you go. It's not so complicated. And this, uh, the rabbi said an amazing thing. He said to him, he said, what, what did you just do? He says, what do you mean? I just paid the, the, uh, the cashier at, at the toll booth. See, he said to him, he says, you don't say good morning. You don't say good afternoon, good evening. How are you? How's your day? He says, do you realize that hundreds of thousands of people drive through these toll booths and no one says a word. No one inquires, how are you? How's your day? It's a rainy day. It must be difficult and cold. Nothing. So the driver, who I heard this story from, said that from that day on, he never ever passed a toll booth, or for that matter, any cashier or teller or you know just an ordinary service person without inquiring, how are they doing? Understand their situation. Last week we mentioned that the idea the Talmud says that if you pray for someone, the sages reward you that you will benefit first when you pray for someone else. It means if you and your friend are both looking for a job and you pray for them, you're the one who will get the job first. It really is a very interesting idea. Why is that? And we mentioned at the end of class last week is because we we have to see like this. You know, God is all over, right? Up in the heavens, down in the earth, everywhere. God is all over in the north, east, west, south. God is everywhere. But let's put this idea of our prayers get elevated to the heavens. When we have a love for another person, what happens is, is that love that we have for another person immediately opens up the channels from heaven. But when, God forbid, a person has a fight, a person has a quarrel, a person has a feud with another person, then what it does, it creates a barrier between them and the Almighty. The Almighty wants us, we mentioned this last week, that God created the world and every day was given the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, but the first day was not called the first day, it was called day one. And the reason is because God wants us to be one with each other. You know, it's very interesting. In this week's Torah portion, which was Noah, we just read Noah yesterday in synagogue, 
the Torah refers to the waters of the flood as the waters of Noah. Now, last I checked, Noah was a good guy. So why is this cursed water of the flood called the waters of Noah? The Zohar, the great Kabbalist, says the most incredible thing. He says, because Noah didn't feel the responsibility for other people. Yes, was he righteous? He was righteous. But did he care enough about other people to help them stay away from trouble? Reaching out to other people? Asking them to change their ways? Nah. It's like, listen, the people would come, they'd ask him, what are you building over here? He says, I'm building a, I'm building a, 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 a huge ark, a huge boat. For what? Oh, well, God's going to you know, send a flood to the world. And the people laughed at him and they moved on. And he didn't say, listen, listen. Guys, let's learn. Let's talk about this. You know, there is going to be a day of judgment. And our sages tell us that if Noah had changed one person's mind, if he had cared enough to influence one person to change their way of living, you know what would have happened? The flood wouldn't have happened. And therefore, the name for the waters of the flood were named after Noah and his, in a way, lack of responsibility towards his fellow man. If you really care about someone else's pain, you'll feel it. And it won't be able to sleep. I'll give you another example. Uh, the great Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, who is the leader of the Mir Yeshiva, the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem, the largest yeshiva in the world. You're talking about uh, nine and a half to 10,000 students sitting every single day learning Torah all day. It's really an un- unbelievable place. And when I was in Israel recently uh, with a group, uh, before COVID, obviously, we, that was one of the great destinations we went to. We went to spend some time in the yeshiva, and we sat in the study hall where you have thousands of people sitting and studying Torah. It's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. And we learned there a little bit. And we then, we have, of course, we went downstairs and saw, saw their amazing uh, schnitzel machine where they produce 13,000 schnitzels every Tuesday for the students of the yeshiva for lunch. It really is a remarkable operation. The great Rosh Hashiva of blessed memory, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, he used to say every Yom Kippur at Kol Nidre that if there's any Jew in this building that hasn't lost a night of sleep for our brethren who are lost, for our brethren who are assimilated, for our brethren who don't know what Judaism is, who don't know what Shabbos is, who don't know what tefillin and mezuzah are, if you haven't lost one night's sleep for your brethren, you have no business coming to Yom Kippur asking God for forgiveness. It's a very powerful statement. That means we need to not only be careful to be good people for ourselves, but how are we living for other people as well? Are we caring about other people? Does it pain us when someone else doesn't find their shidduch, when someone doesn't find their, their soulmate, when someone is single? Does it pain us when someone we know doesn't have a job and they can't support themselves? Does it pain us when someone else is sick or we're just worried because we don't want to lose a good friend? Do we feel part of that pain? And that's what our sages teach us, no sebe'olim chaveru, is to carry the burden with them so that they aren't carrying it alone. We are there, we're one with them. And that's what we're trying to attain through this, through the learning of this trait. You know, there's an interesting uh, story that's told also about Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. 
in yeshiva, just to give you a little, a little uh, side note about how yeshiva learning works. So you learn with a study partner, and every single student in the yeshiva has a study partner. It's like a marriage almost. This is the person you'll be sitting next to and learning with for the next few months. Probably right now there's a new semester that started right after Sukkot. And it goes all the way till Pesach. That's almost six months that you'll be sitting with your study partner every day and learning with them. And obviously in the evening they'll go home with their family. You go home with your family. But you get to know these people pretty well. You become very, very close because you spend a lot of time every day learning together. So what happens is the first day of the semester is called tumult, okay, which is a, a whole, you know, imagine like a marketplace for, for food, right? You have the same thing, a marketplace for study partners. And everybody's sitting, you know, I like to learn faster. I like to learn slower. I learn, like to learn deeper. I like to learn more, you know, bro- broader. And everyone has their own style of how they learn, and they try to find someone who uh, th- that fits, and they go and sit down together and start learning. And for many people, they have the same study partner for years and years. The challenge is always, in every yeshiva, the challenge is, what do I do if a couple of weeks into the semester I realize this is not a match? See, everybody else is partnered. And now, you potentially can have someone else you can learn with. But what do you do with your partner? So, someone once came to the Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir Yeshiva, and asked Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, he asked him, he says, Rabbi, what do I do? It's not working out with my study partner. I have another study partner, another chavruta that I can learn with. What do you recommend I do? So the rabbi said, oh, you're a big righteous scholar. You need to learn better, so you want to learn with a different, a different study partner. That's fine. He says, but the embarrassment that you're causing your friend by him sitting alone, not having a study partner for the next four months potentially, and not finding another partner, that's playing with fire. That is playing with fire. And we have to understand the ramifications of what it is that we're doing. And this is a little bit out of the realm of what we're talking about. But to understand that just because it's good for me doesn't mean I don't need to pay attention to someone else's feelings. And doesn't mean that I don't need to take responsibility of the effects of what I what it is that I'm doing to someone else. It's a very big responsibility. And yes, while we all live in a very, very interesting world where we're all busy, old, but when a person sees a situation, look at the full situation that's in front of you. Don't judge superficially. Don't look at it from a superficial standpoint of, well, I have my rights. I do what I need to do. No, we got to take it the next step and see what is the other person going to experience by me doing this. They're going to be lonely. And there are many different examples. I don't want to get into too many details of this, but the, the overarching idea is to understand what another person is experiencing and not to take it lightly. Now, you mentioned previously, you mentioned earlier about Hillel and Shammai and the example that the rabbi gave in the other class uh, preceding this class. So I want to just tell you that Hillel and Shammai is very, very interesting. I don't, I'm not going to get into politics, but the Hillel was always ready to listen to Shammai first. Shammai spoke, gave his opinion, and then Hillel gave the rebuttal. Listen to someone else's opinion first. Maybe they're right. 
Maybe they have a good point. Maybe they have a perspective I didn't think of. Then you can challenge it. But the idea of getting into someone else's perspective, thinking, seeing things the way another person sees it, that's a very important uh, idea. It's a very important perspective to look at. Listen to someone else's opinion and understand what it is that they're saying. Every person is dealing with something. One person is worried about their health. One person is worried about their parents. One person is worried about their spouse. One person is worried about their children. One person is worried about their job. One person is worried about global warming. And another person is worried about world peace. Every single human being is worried about something, is dealing with something. And when you meet people to learn what it is that is affecting them. I remember I once walked into my grandfather's house. It was a regular, ordinary day. And my grandfather looks at me and says, why are you worried? It's like, what? He was able to see it right in my face. Get out of yourself and see what the other person is. That was true. I was worried. I don't remember what it was exactly at the time. But I remember being amazed at how intuitive he was to be able to notice right when I walked in there was something concerning me. That's getting out of ourselves. How many times have we been in a situation where someone gives us a pat on the back, so to speak, we're worried, we're concerned, and someone just gives us a a nice pat on the back and says, don't worry, everything will be okay. Well, that didn't help much. Did you ever experience that? We all experience that. Everyone's nodding their heads. Yes, of course we'll experience that. They so don't get what I'm going through. They don't understand what I'm worried about. And that's what this trade is about. I don't want you to be confused that this trade is a trade of kindness. It's an element of kindness, yes. It's an element of, uh, of uh, judging someone favorably. It's the, we have all of these variations of traits, but the, the specific idea of what we're talking about, we can identify. So actually, the virtue and quality of a leader as described by the Torah, is precisely that. It's precisely someone who is able to feel the pain of their constituents. We brought this example last week that Moses was chosen as the leader because he saw the pain of his people. And because he was not only saw, he felt their pain. He went out to be with them. He was not just like, I'm going to stay in the White House. You guys don't have jobs, and I'll just tell you that I I feel your pain. No. Go out and be there with them. Show them that you're with them. I I gave the example last week, also at the end of the class, of my sister talking about uh, her Shiva experience with her baby and that a woman came and sat in the Shiva house and just cried. Didn't say a word. She sat in the corner and cried. And my my sister says that that gave her more comfort than all the the nice things that people were trying to say. Someone just sat there and cried. That's feeling someone else's pain. Feeling someone else's happiness is the same thing. How many times do we go to a wedding and we're like, oh, we're all excited. There's good food. There's good good music. We'll meet some friends. We'll get all dressed up. But do we really understand and get into the frame of mind of the bride and groom and how happy they are, 
of the parents of the bride and groom, of how happy they are. What a celebration to really get into that frame of mind. I'll tell you why this is so unique, this trait, because whenever we talk about becoming a great person, becoming a great person is not only perfecting yourself, but part of perfecting yourself is getting out of yourself and understanding other people. Getting into the frame of mind of someone else's existence, someone else's uh, happiness or sadness or, or worry or, or, or concern. Bearing the yoke of friendship. Think of a friendship that you have, any friendship that you have, and understand how many times you, it could be a friend. And men and women are obviously very, very different in the way their friendships are, but to feel their concerns and their worries to really be there with them not just oh i'm so sorry to hear that and then just move on to the next conversation to really be there with them that when you get off the phone you're still thinking about it and you're still concerned as if it was you to get out of your own self and get into someone else's shoes it's interesting because the mission actually tells us don't judge your friend till you're standing in their place in their shoes because till you you're not able to stand in their shoes you have no idea what they're experiencing so there's actually a mitzvah that when someone when someone is sitting shiva when someone passes away their family members sit shiva for 7 days and what is the mitzvah of those who come and pay the shiva call so many people think that the mitzvah is to comfort them that's not correct Mitzvah is to come there and sit there and be quiet. Don't say a word. Not to say a word. The halacha tells us don't say a word. Just be there with them. If you're busy talking, you're not going to feel their pain. Let them talk. And if they don't want to talk, you're not supposed to say a word. It says that in a house of a mourner, you're not allowed to begin talking till they ask you to speak. Very different than the Shiva calls that we see uh, in our in our generation, where people it's almost like a, it looks like a party, like a, you know, people come and they're drinking and eating, and you know, yeah, you know, Uncle uh, Uncle uh, Jerry was great, and Uncle so and so, yeah, he was a great man, lived a good life. Much more than that, to really feel the pain, to feel that loss. You can't do anything in a Shiva house to change the situation person passed away can't change it but you can feel their loss and that's what we're there for we're there the comfort is to give them the feeling we are there with them and feel their loss so i'll tell you an interesting story another story from Chaim shmulevitz remembering a lot of stories today not all of them are in my notes some of them are but the, this one this one this is an amazing story uh, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz was once, he was teaching a class in the Mir Yeshiva. And these classes, again, have hundreds and hundreds of students in each class. You can imagine, it's an auditorium filled with chairs, and all the students are sitting there with their pens and, and Talmuds and, and writing notes. So that the class is about to begin. The doors are closing, and then the last two guys come in, and they're looking, scrambling for a chair, and they neither of them could find a chair. They both run out of the door to find themselves a chair. They both come back with their own chair and they sit down. 
And the rabbi is looking this whole time. And then he closes the Talmud. And he says, today we're going to learn about true kindness. And he points out those two individuals in the back who just walked in with their own chairs. He said, each of you walked in and realized that you didn't have a chair. But you knew that your friend didn't either have a chair. So what did you do? You brought yourself a chair. At the same time, you could have brought each other a chair. You're doing the same exact deed. You're doing the same exact action, but you could have thought, my friend needs a chair, and brought them the chair. And he could have brought you the chair. If I understand my friend's deficiency, I understand what his lacking is, I understand how to get out of myself and be there for someone else. So while you're doing the same exact action, you can be doing it in a way that is thinking about another person. And you can say, what's the big deal? The difference is whether someone is living only for themselves or living and understanding someone else's existence. And each one was able to do a mitzvah by doing the regular, ordinary deed that they were going to do for themselves by thinking about another person. It's not a gimmick. The idea is really, I see someone else's need. It's true that I also have a need. But am I thinking only about my need or am I thinking about their need? That's what the rabbi is trying to teach. The rabbi is trying to teach is that the whole essence of the Torah is to be there for someone else, to go beyond ourself. The essence of greatness is to go beyond yourself. I want to share with you a story. I know it's a political uh, uh, season, and I know some of you, I'm, I'm not giving my own personal perspective on politics or my voting. I vote the day of. I'm an independent, and I, I, I make my decision the day of as to who I'll vote for. I want to share with you an amazing story, though. There was an individual who was being driven in his limousine on the New Jersey Turnpike and got a flat tire. And it was one of those cold, rainy, sleet-type nights. And uh, there's a a student from the Lakewood Yeshiva, a young married man, who was driving and sees hazard lights on for this car on the side of the road. So he pulls over, figures I can help out another human being, doesn't know who it is, pulls over, and he asks the driver, how can I help? He says, we got a flat tire. He says, no problem. He pulls out a kit from the back of his car, and he ratchets up the, uh, the car, changes the, uh, you know, changes the tire, puts on the spear tire, and uh, he tells the driver, you stay in the car. I got this, you know, and he's, he's fixing it for the, uh, for the, for the limousine. As soon as, as soon as he's done, he goes back into his car. He tells the driver, everything is fine. I changed the tire. And so the, the limousine driver, the chauffeur, uh, goes over to this yeshiva student, and he says to him, my passenger is very grateful for your uh, for your kindness. He wants to send you something to show his gratitude. What's your address? So he gives him his address, doesn't think about it a second time, and continues driving. A couple of days later, he gets a beautiful bouquet of roses. It's a true story. It's verified. Okay, He gets a beautiful bouquet of roses, and on that bouquet of roses is a letter. And it says, thank you for your kindness. Your mortgage has been paid off. Yours truly, Donald J. Trump. That is a true story. So the question is like, why does someone need to do that? Now, I understand that there are character flaws. Every human being has character flaws. I understand some people have really bad character flaws. And every person has some really bad character flaws. But for someone to go out of their way to think about that, to go help someone else, 
really getting into someone else's situation. Now, I'm not saying that this is our, our mentor or teacher in character traits. I'm not getting into that. I don't want to get into it. But I want to just learn from this specific story, from, the, from that how many times do we have the ability to think about someone else's situation, to get out of our car, someone else is on the side of the road, and we say, you know what, someone, let them call AAA, let them call, and to just stop on the side of the road to help someone. It's a cold night. It's not fun being on the side of the road with a flat tire at who knows what time at night, and it's cold, and it's, it's I, I don't know if you're familiar, you're all in Houston for so, for so long. I used to live in New York, and those days where it's cold and slushy, and it's disgusting, and it's, it's, it's like, it's miserable, and yet someone found it in his heart to stop on the side of the road and help someone because someone else is in need and going out of their way to go assist them. That is a very special thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that we, uh, that we start paying off people's mortgages when they're under the bridge. Let's look at the virtue of seeing someone else's pain and not, now, not even acting on it, at least feel it. It doesn't say that you have to solve their problems. It doesn't say that anywhere, but let's feel their pain. Let's understand their situation. What is their situation? And let's make something to help feel their pain. There are many commentaries that talk about this Mishnah. It's way number 39 of the 48 ways, and we're going to get to it in a couple of months in our Wednesdays with Waldi's class. The great Reb Chaim Volazhner, one of the great luminaries of European Jewry pre-Holocaust, he said that this trait is to see your friend's perspective and understand that maybe the truth is with them. So if you're arguing with someone, you can also fulfill this trait. You're arguing with them, see their perspective. You don't have to agree necessarily, but maybe the truth is with them. Maybe it's not with you. We're always convinced that our way is the right way. The way I educate my kids is the right way. The way I treat my spouse is the right way. The way I act is the right way. And everybody else just doesn't understand. Right? Is there anybody here who doesn't think that? Right? We all think that. I've got it right. Everybody else has got it wrong. Or they just don't understand. But maybe someone else has a perspective that they can add to me. Maybe someone else has a, maybe I have blind spots and I don't see the, the, uh, the best way to operate. Even if you're certain you're right, don't gloat. Don't gloat. You know you're right. Don't show off. If you have something to tell someone else, learn to correct them in a way that is proper. If you're telling them, and we're going to talk about uh, love and rebuke, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, but if you're telling someone and correcting them will result in a quarrel, don't say anything. Why? For the sake of peace. So you just want to let it off your chest, and I, I'm going to just tell them the thing they need to hear. Anyone who's, who has children knows this. Just because you want to say something doesn't mean they're ready to hear it. And that needs to be a goal of ours to find a way to say something in a way that's meaningful to other people. And if you know they won't accept it, don't say a word. Don't say a word. Vent to someone else. It's a key element to keeping peace in the world. You have to know who you're talking to. Even if you're a man of power, shear the pain of your city. We see that with uh, Noah and the flood, so he, he, they were actually in the Teva, in the ark, for a year. Noah was there with his wife. His children were there with their spouses. And nobody had any children during the time they were in the, in the ark. 
You ever wonder? Why not? Our sages tell us that during the time that Noah was in the ark, Noah and his family, they didn't cohabitate. They didn't perform marital relations. You know why? Exactly for this reason. The whole world is suffering. The whole world is drowning to death. And we're going to do something which is pleasurable. Feel the pain. It's true God is saving you. But feel the pain of the world. The world is all suffering. The world is all being destroyed. And I'm safe in my boats. I'll just do what I want to do. The entire time they were together, they did not have marital relations. Because they had to feel the pain of the world. Our sages tell us when there is a plague or there is a, uh, a tragedy that befalls a community, those same laws apply. People, even if you're in a safe place of that community, when people are suffering in mass, you have to feel their pain. It's a really remarkable uh, sensitivity that the Torah teaches us. Bizman shat sibur bitzar, when the community is in pain, a person is not allowed to say, well, I've got no worries, I've got no issues. Doesn't affect me. And to be callous to the pain of the, of, of the community. It's wrong for one's soul to say such a thing. The Jewish cops didn't hit the Jews in Egypt. Why? Out of pity. Instead, they got hit. So what they did was, is that the, the Egyptians appointed Jews to be the cops and to hit the other Jews. But you know what the Jewish cops did? They didn't hit them. They instead got hit. The Egyptians were then punished for it dearly because the Egyptians were, you understand how this works, right? And this, by the way, the Germans did the same thing. The Germans did the same thing. They put the Jews in charge of the other Jews. And when the Jews did, when the Jewish cops didn't fulfill their role, then they were beat. And the Egyptians were terribly punished for that. Why are you putting them on top of their own people? Other commentaries give other ideas of understanding. To acquire Torah, you need a good heart. Feeling one's pain is just that. That is a good heart. When you're able to feel someone else's pain, when you're able to feel someone else's plight, that builds a good heart. Walking in Hashem's way. It's a form of humility that allows one to be a receptacle for Torah. When you're able to, to feel someone else's situation, that makes you a vessel capable of Torah. The whole essence of Torah is being able to go beyond yourself. And I know this, we're being repetitive, but the idea is that we need to attain this trait on a very high level. Women are better in all traits than men. Women are, are, are much more spiritual. Women are much more connected which is why the women, it's very, it's very interesting. You have this whole feminist movement where women, equal power, equal. You don't want to be equal. Why should you be pulled down? And we have to understand this. It's not just words. This is the way the world is. Women are on a much higher level. So people want to have equal experience in synagogue. But guess what? Women aren't obligated to go to synagogue or to pray with a minion or to, uh, you know, to, to fulfill the mitzvahs like a man is. You know why? Because they have it ingrained within them. Men need the external tools to get them on a schedule, to get them disciplined, to get them to humble themselves. Women have that ingrained. We see in Judaism that we had queens. We had women, 
prophetesses. We had many of them, right? We found that there were women who had the, the, the qualities of leadership and they led the Jewish people in a great way. But just by the way, in modern history, one of the greatest prime ministers Israel ever had was Golda Meir. She was a tough woman. And she fought for the Jewish people like almost no other prime minister did. So yes, women have unbelievable strength, unbelievable power. Just by the way, let's not think that the only way for women's strength to show is in the public arena. In their homes, raising children. Men are not so gifted like women to raise children. Yes, there could be stay-at-home dads. There is such a thing. But I don't find that the nurturing that a mother gives their child, a father cannot do half of what a, woman, what a mother can. There is a certain connection. There's a certain something special about, about uh, women. The Torah is the first to identify that. The Torah is not, is not uh, chauvinist. Not at all. Thinking that the Torah is is not understanding what the Torah is. It's not our topic. We can get into it another time. We can give a whole presentation on, on the power of women. We can get into it another time. But the idea here is like this, is that every person is the child of Hashem. Every person. How can we not feel the pain of one of Hashem's children? We're all children of Hashem. We're all one unit, so to speak. It's like our sages tell us, if you're cutting a fruit and you cut your hand by mistake, so your right hand is holding the knife and it cut the left hand by mistake. So does the left hand now grab the knife and try to cut the right hand? No, of course not. But you cut me. What do you mean? But we're one body. We're one being. The Jewish people are considered one body. And when one does something to the other, we don't say, oh, I'm going to hit you back. But rather we, we say, I'm sorry. You understand that we are one unit and we need to feel that unity. We need to feel that connection to one another. It's very, very important for us to understand the connection with every other human being around us and feel their situation, feel to understand their circumstances. Another form of no sebaol, of carrying the burden of a fellow, is accepting someone without limitations or flaws. Meaning, to completely open ourselves up to another person and not limit the relationship based on whatever it is. To completely accept someone for who they are. No one is going to be perfect. Except for my wife, there's not, not anyone I know that's perfect. And the idea that, that we want to find the per- we want everyone to be perfect around us, guess what? We need to accept that not everyone's going to be perfect. We're not perfect either. Right? We're striving for perfection. And that needs to be our goal is to understand that everyone wants to attain perfection. Okay? Is there any questions? So that's a, it's a very important balance that needs to be struck between feeling other people's pain and it taking you over and you not being able to function and operate as a human being. That's one of the reasons that an eagle is not a kosher animal. It's an amazing thing. An eagle is a very, very merciful animal. The bird, the eagle... It, the, the Midrash says that the eagle flies really high and it sees the mother goat kicking its calf off the cliff. And the eagle will go and catch the calf and bring it back to the top of the mountain. And then the mother won't throw it down again. And it's such incredible mercy. So why isn't it kosher? We want to get that, that mercy. We want to be that merciful. 
The Midrash says that we would go crazy if we had such a high level of mercy like the eagle. Because having too much mercy, having too much pity, having too much kindness, we forget about ourselves. And it would create an imbalance in our in our being. So yes, you're right. You should feel other people's pain and you should feel other people's situation, but not too much. There has to be a balance. It can really get the best of us if we don't have that balance. All right, have a magnificent week. Stay blessed and, uh, and have a remarkable, remarkable day. Enjoy the weather. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcast.com.